Pardon me if you've heard this already, but federal agencies and companies both have trouble filling out their ranks of people with cybersecurity skills. Now a group of several large companies, under the auspices of the Aspen Institute, have agreed to adopt a set of principles aimed at building a cybersecurity talent pipeline. We get more now from the chair of the Cybersecurity and Technology Program at the Institute, John Carlin. Mr. Carlin, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Tell us about this effort. There are 15 companies involved, and they have adopted principles from the Aspen Institute on getting people in cybersecurity. Tell us about the principles that they'll be following. That's right. And we started from the the, the premise, it was my background in, in national security, that year after year, the director of national intelligence has named cyber threats to our infrastructure as the top national security concern. Presidents uh, Obama, Bush, and Trump may not agree on much, but they all agreed on that. And in order to meet those threats, we need personnel, both in our contracting community and federal government, in our private sector, with the skills to to address the problems that, that we face. And what we found was that the way in which companies were hiring was actually causing them to miss out on qualified candidates that might be able to address this important important gap. So some of the key principles that we adopted uh, encourage companies to change their practices in ways that open the aperture, that allow more people to get through the first phase of the application process, and that way they can ultimately learn additional skills on the job but not be weeded out while those jobs sit unfilled. And we've heard of some of these companies. You've got some pretty famous names there. We were uh, very, very excited uh, in in the first round of companies that signed up for this to have uh, over 15 uh, companies, including AIG, Apple, Duke Energy, IBM, Google, Johnson & Johnson, Northrop, Verizon, PwC. I won't name them all. But bottom line is it's, it's, it's a cross-section of companies from different sectors, whether it's insurance, new tech, uh, energy sector, all who agree that these same principles can help them address this same problem and skills gap. And if they can all do it, then I think it's a model for other companies to follow. And we expect to announce another wave of companies that have signed on to the principles. And the reason why is, is simple. They work. Yeah. Now, one of the principles, as you mentioned, widening the aperture of candidate pipelines by expanding recruitment focus beyond applicants with four-year degrees or using non-gender biased job descriptions. But getting to the degree end of that, you've also noted that most of the postings call for degrees, but it sounds like maybe that's not really a requirement that people have to have to, to get people that are trainable, at least, in cybersecurity. That's exactly right. You know, according to one uh, study by uh, CyberSeq, they analyzed 26, over 26,000 job openings for cybersecurity analysts. And what they found is that 90% of those openings required a bachelor's degree or higher. And yet, a bachelor's degree doesn't necessarily give you the skills to do those jobs. In fact, I know from when I was in government that the world's premier authority in cybersecurity, the National Security Agency, NSA, why they accept candidates from two-year school, two-year schools, and instead of relying on the bachelor's degree as a proxy for whether you have the right skills, they use their own educational criteria. Now, if that means that the NSA 
people the NSA deem worthy to hire would not qualify on paper for 90% of the private sector openings for a cybersecurity analyst. And that just doesn't make sense and was an easy area to fix. So one of the great things about the Aspen Cybersecurity Group is our membership has people like Keith Alexander, the former head of uh, NSA, along with uh, leadership from companies like IBM. And so they could talk through the problem and realize here's a change that we can make that could be general, generally applicable to get good people in the door. We're speaking with John Carlin. He's chair of the Cybersecurity and Technology Program at the Aspen Institute. And my next question you kind of answered in reverse. I was wondering if the federal government should consider some of these principles, but it sounds like they are ahead of the curve, for example, in not necessarily requiring these four-year degrees for every cybersecurity post. How does the federal government fall in relation to these principles? Short answer is it depends. So I think parts of the federal government have moved to take a close look at their job postings. So they focus on core requirements and they don't over-spec. They don't include too many requirements that you don't really need so that they get that wider uh, aperture. So not every government agency is doing it. And it's something that you need to continue to, to refresh as you think about what your needs are. And it's also particularly true, I think, for the contractor uh, community many of whom use criteria like the college degree that the government agencies that are performing the contracts for don't don't uh, require. Another change, though, is just in the language that you use. You know, one, one thing we found learning these best practices from, uh, from companies is that the way in which you describe your, your job itself and what it entails can inadvertently discriminate. So, it causes bias that deters otherwise qualified diverse candidates from applying in the first place. There was a piece of software called Textio, which helped highlight biased language and job descriptions. One company, Cisco, used it and was able to boost its rate of female applicants by 10%. And so one of our members that's rolling out these new principles, IBM, applied these uh, principles, and they saw a 50% increase in the applicant mix of minorities who are otherwise underrepresented in technology. And, you know, I probably don't need to remind your listeners, but the technology space, not, and particularly cybersecurity, has been one that has not been diverse. And so there's been a great push, like, how can we get other people? We need more people in these jobs. We don't have enough people to fill them. How can we get people from every background to be uh, to be applying? That's interesting because this this age of EEO and all these disclaimers on every hire and all of the rules, regulations, laws, statutes affecting hiring, can you give an example of where you might change language in an ad or a posting that would boost the number of female applicants? Yeah, so that's that's where that um, that study came in um, using software text deal. And what it's finding is it's not there's no intent. Um, so p- people aren't deliberately using biased uh, biased language, but just uh, certain you know certain words end up discouraging female applicants. And so rephrasing the same um, uh, you know, trying to deliver the same content by rephrasing it slightly can end up with this increase in applicants. It's also true that there are certain certifications that have been required for job postings. Uh, I'll use one that uh, called the, the CISSP. Now, that's something that we found that there were 77,000 job postings, roughly, seeking candidates with the CISSP. 
there are only 75,000 people who actually hold one. So there, there's no way those jobs are going to get filled if you keep making that requirement. And part of the reason for that is it's a mid to late career requ requirement, something you usually get in the middle of your career. This is a career that's booming now, right? And if you look at those, for those historically in the field, they tend to be white and male. If you look at the people who are trying to enter the workforce, they're much more diverse. You're going to weed them out if you require a CISSP. And you may not need it for entry-level certifications. There's another one that's really designed for people breaking in where 170,000 people have it, and there are only 35,000 job postings that are looking for it. So if you can move people to use the one that's more properly um, scaled to what they're looking for, that requires more basic skills like Security Plus, versus this mid-career qualification, then you're going to get more people coming in the door. And the next step, which is another principle, is that once you get them in, there's ways to use in-house training and mentorship to take those skilled candidates and upskill them rather than cutting out a huge pool of workers off the bat. It strikes me that cybersecurity maybe is overly viewed perhaps as a black magic or some kind of high priesthood when in many ways it's a trade, almost like car repair where you have to use your head, you have to use software nowadays, and you have to use your hands and tools. But really, the way you get good at it is to do it. And you can't really bake a mechanic until someone's had some hands-on experience. Ah, that's such a great point. And I, you know, I was fascinated participating in these discussions as we came up with the principles, hearing from these major companies and their HR departments, and they talked through what worked and, and, and what didn't. And that that was one of the things they were talking about is that a better sign of success often for some of these skills might be something that you don't think of as a cybersecurity skill. You know, they're good writers. They're English majors, but they, they, they want that type of creativity for some of the skill, cybersecurity skills that, that ultimately they, they need them to address, that they can learn, uh, learn on the job. And also that you, know, you want a compliment in your skill set. So some people might be more te technical, some people might be more verbal, and you can build a really effective team that improves your cybersecurity. I call out the English language because, you know, you probably use the computer at home sometimes. And sometimes you get a warning on what your best cybersecurity practice should be, right, from your employer, and you can't understand it. So uh, you need people that help translate those who have the technical skills into the language that the folks using the systems uh, are using, whether it's uh, your grandmother or your colleague down the hall. John Carlin is chair of the Cybersecurity and Technology Program at the Aspen Institute. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Find this interview and a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming. Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.